You are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles radio show. Here is your host, paranormal researcher and author of the best-selling A Most Hunted House, Gavin Lee Davis. Welcome. My name is JL Davis, founder of theparanormalchronicles.com and author the true paranormal account that is terrifying reviewers around the world. Dare you read Haunted Horror of Haverford West Alone in Bed at Night? Tonight we investigate Poltergeist with the UK's number one ghost detective. You will never look at the paranormal the same way again after this incredible interview. Wherever you are in the world, I do hope you are safe and well as we broadcast from beautiful Pembrokeshire, West Wales. I have a followers winner announcement. Congratulations, Rain Lady. You have won a signed copy of Haunted Horror of Haverford West. Rain Lady, please email me at paranormalchronicles at aol.com to claim your prize. Thank you so much and thank you to everyone that follows. The Paranormal Chronicles podcast series brought to you by sick-books.com. So visit sick-books.com today and start your paranormal reading adventure. If this is your first time listening, then please follow so you never miss an episode. Plus, all followers get entered into a followers monthly prize draw to win a fantastic book from sick-books.com. Press follow now, download and listen to our huge archive of amazing content. Big news for us, we are now on Patreon. Become a VIP today and access ad-free and early access episodes. Have extra draws in the book giveaway. Access to digital content. Be part of an exclusive VIP Amazon prize draw. And get this, you get two free digital books. And one of them, it's my controversial bestseller, Go Sex, The Violation. All of that for a free pound or dollar subscription. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. That's patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. Go VIP today. Final announcement before we get on with this incredible show. I am thrilled and honoured to announce that my fourth book is set for release. Harvest, the true story of alien abduction is ready for pre-order. Release date, Halloween 2020. Pre-order Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction by me, G.L. Davis, today from wherever books are sold on tonight's show. What are poltergeists and where do they come from? What happened to Britain's number one ghost investigator in Transylvania? And what are poltergeist vampires? Could you have a poltergeist in your home right now? You may be shocked to find out what may be causing it. John Fraser has been dubbed the UK's number one ghost detective and is Britain's leading ghost investigator on the poltergeist phenomena. His new book, Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive hauntings, is the go-to book for poltergeist and paranormal investigation. John Fraser is Britain's number one ghost investigator for a reason, and his new book is probably the greatest parapsychology and paranormal book ever written. John's research will change how you view the paranormal forever. Wait till you find out what may be causing poltergeist phenomena. It will blow your mind. On with the show. So, John, why are there so many ghost hunters, but so few of the poltergeist variety? Well, Gavin, very nice to be on your show, by the way. That is an intriguing question. 
Now, believe it or not, up until about um, uh, 20, 25 years ago, there was actually very few ghost hunters until the television programs came along, first being Most Haunted. There used to only be about um, uh, three or four um, uh, ghost hunting societies, such as the Society for, well, the Society for Psychical Research to an extent, the Ghost Club, ASAP, and so on. And then you got uh, the TV shows. And within a decade, there'd become, I think one of my colleagues estimated 1,200 different ghost investigating units all around the country, all doing it in very different ways. Now, why has the poltergeist been missed out? Probably because of convenience. If you're just starting out, as a lot of people were in the early 2000s, it's far, far easier to try to get access to a old spooky castle, which has a reputation for being haunted, but when it comes down to it, possibly nothing's happened for ages and ages. It's far, far more difficult to um, get hold of a spontaneous, active poltergeist case. So somewhere along this genre, it's kind of been forgotten. Now, the problem with it being forgotten is poltergeist incidents are quite easily provable. If something gets thrown across the room, it's in effect either paranormal fact or somebody is faking it. There's no in-between. But if somebody sees an old grey lady out of the corner of their eye for about half a nanosecond at four o'clock in the morning after three cans of Red Bull, you know the scenario, it up for grabs as to... um, uh, whether that was a psychological experience or a paranormal experience. So the way the genres kind of ran, it has been taken over by ghosts, ghosts and more ghosts. But I think if we're going to get anywhere and there's enough people interested, we have to do something to make that change. Most definitely. So can you help us understand poltergeists? Are poltergeists intelligent? Do they behave like a spoiled child or the ultimate barroom bore? A lot of people think, um, uh, and it's a perfectly valid theory because we don't know what the paranormal is, otherwise it would be normal. Um, A lot of people think that poltergeists are past life visitations using their psychic energy, etc, etc. I tend to think, as a percentage call, they may not be that, simply because they, on the whole don't do anything very interesting. I mean, they're interesting from a paranormal sense, in the the sense that they might throw things across the room, make pools of water appear, or possibly as a byproduct, um, possibly make tappings, door slammings, and so on. But from a communication point of view, uh, they don't tend to say much of interest. And I've actually described them as a bar and boo, possibly not the sort of person you'd actually want to have a pint with. Now, probably the um, there is some communication by poltergeists, um, uh, normally by um, by tappings and vappings. Even then, it doesn't really amount to that much. For example, the very well-known case known as the Andover case, which I mention in my book Poltergeist, the new investigation, or the entity who didn't give himself a name, um, went on to predict the football results 
um, very inaccurately, and that was about all that he could do. Um, so not only uh, not only was he not very interesting, had you been gambling on it, you wouldn't have won much money. And you know, uh, if I was coming back, if I was a, had a life after death, I would probably want to do more than that, and probably do it. Hopefully, do it a, a lot more accurately than that as well. So they honestly don't tend to have much personality. Um, a lot of the personality is probably invented by the people that are experiencing it, not in a bad way, but just because they want to give some identity to the um, things that are happening around them. Um, for example, some random poltergeist events in the late 1960s in a perfectly ordinary council house in Pontefract gradually became known as the Black Monk of Pontefract even though there's um, no evidence of a monk in the area, let alone a, a monk that got hanged, just because people want to give an entity to a poltergeist. But to be honest, there isn't much identity they give out. It is just a raw power, nevertheless a very interesting raw power. So was Colin Wilson right to switch his views and accept the poltergeists are a form of the afterlife based on the report of a girl being dragged up the stairs by a hair at East Drive Pontefract? Oh, you must be um, slightly hinting at that I do call my book Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive haunting. Colin Wilson's excellent book from about 35, 36 years ago is Poltergeist, a study into destructive hauntings. Um, now, two reasons I did that, because I do revisit some of the um, cases of Colin Wilson, and we'll come on to that in a minute. Also because, um, possibly with one exception in the 90s by John Spencer, there is actually a very large gap between books about the poltergeist itself as opposed to a book about a poltergeist incident. And even taking John's book into account, um, uh, that would be about 20 years. Um, and as I say, it's 35 since Colin Wilson's. It's about 40 odd since um, the SBR Gold and Connell's um, did their excellent study of 500 poltergeist cases. I only do about 25, I must admit, but um, in slightly more depth, hopefully. Um, and um, so that's the reason um, you're probably asking the question. Uh, but was Colin Wilson right? Um, no, probably not. It's actually quite fascinating. I mean, I I, I was brought up um, reading Colin Wilson paranormal books. Um, the occult, all 750 pages of it. Excellent introduction. Um, but um, Colin Wilson was um, uh, very much somebody that talked about the power of the inner mind and explored powers. He even mentioned a concept called Factor X to describe this. And then he goes and writes a book about poltergeists, a subject which he probably wasn't that familiar with when he started out. He did a lot of research, but was then came to the case of the Black Monk of Pontefract. And basically, because he couldn't get his mind around why somebody's subconscious would actually in some way self-harm, just totally flipped his theory based on this one case, 
one case that was being described from about 15 years back when he wrote his book. So it may or may not have been described with total accuracy, but let's even assume it was. I think Colin probably underestimated the, the power of the subconscious mind. I mean, we've got accepted the fact that for example, somebody deeply religious can psychologically um, produce stigmata by the which they get wounds in their um, arms or, or wherever religiously they believe wounds should be. And so if you've got that, it's only one small step from having a subconscious mind if they believe in something and if they're under trauma or stress, possibly um, doing some minor self-harm Nothing untoward happened to any of the um, protagonists in the Black Monk of Pontefract, other than possibly slight bruising. Um, so I think he was possibly a bit premature to flip his theory. Plenty others though, would disagree, and the jury's still out. That's what makes it so interesting. Is it a misconception that an adolescent child is needed to trigger a poltergeist case? Yes and no. The adolescent child thing goes right back to the times and when some earlier researchers were talking about poltergeists being called, caused by naughty little girls. Um, uh, first of all, possibly as a, as a form of faking, Harry Price, the famous paranormal researcher, discounted that um, and actually believed that um, uh, they could be a trigger and probably wasn't wrong. However, they're probably not the only trigger for a poltergeist-type incident. Probably the key thing that seems to trigger most poltergeist incidents is some kind of um, stressful incident. And as we can all probably remember, adolescence is one, three or four-year stressful incident, so has plenty of potential. But if you look at other cases, such as the Rosenheim case in Germany, that was actually triggered by a young lady of about 1920, so too old to be considered you know, an adolescent. After, sorry, after her engagement broke up, um, she then started walking into the law office from where she worked and having all kinds of strange phenomena having the, what ha happening, the electricity giving out, I think the photocopier blew up, if I can remember correctly. And um, oh no, the photocopier got moved across the room, a very heavy, heavy instrument, and um, all kinds of things happening like that. Um, there's other cases that have been triggered by simply moving into a house. I even speculate, and it's only speculation, that the Amityville horror could be such a case. I mean, what have you got? You've not only got a house move, you've not only got an overextended mortgage, but you've got somebody moving into the house of a mass murderer. How stressful is that? Probably even more stressful than adolescence. So people that look to adolescence were probably correct in that a lot of cases are triggered by adolescence, but they're not the only trigger. Now, I've got a two-part question here. What did you indirectly learn about poltergeists by traveling to Transylvania half a dozen times? And a phrase that is synonymous with you at this time is poltergeist vampires. Is there a connection between the two? This incredible interview continues after these important messages. 
Is the poltergeist syndrome the only type of paranormal phenomena that can really be proven? Read Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive haunting today. Available on e-reader and wherever books are sold. Visit www.sixth-books.com for more information. Become the alchemist of your world. In The Secret of the Alchemist, Colm Holland reveals how you can discover the power to miraculously change the world around you beyond all recognition and for the better. Colm will tell you the story of his encounter with Paolo Coelho and his best-selling book, The Alchemist, and how discovering the secret gave him the insights to achieve true empowerment in his life and how you can too. Read The Secret of the Alchemist today. Available from wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com to learn how you too can become the alchemist of your life. This is Jason Bland, host of Midwest Paranormal Presents Paranormal Soup, where we stream live as a webcast every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, with guests who will blow your mind. Live ghost box sessions where you can call into the show to see if the spirits will talk to you, and the world wide web of weird with the latest in paranormal news and evidence. We're bringing the weird every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. Paranormal entities assaulting us. Ghost Sex The Violation is the best selling true account and study of paranormal sexual abuse. Ghost Sex The Violation by GL Davis is available on Kindle and through Amazon. Pray this never happens to you. What if the after effects of a near death experience were undeniable? What if a person could suddenly produce high quality paintings of the afterlife, or if they acquired the ability to compose classical symphonies? Read Shine On. The remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. Read Shine On today on e-readers and wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com today. Does Genesis teach that the human race was created by God or engineered by ETs? Read Escaping from Eden. Today, from wherever books are sold. GL here, and before we get back to the interview, did you know you can listen to this podcast not only ad-free, but with early VIP access as a TPC VIP Patreon. As a VIP, you will get two digital books, including my bestseller, Go Sex the Violation, to keep and read, plus digital content, two extra draws in our follower monthly book giveaway, and exclusive entry into a VIP Amazon gift voucher draw. This is the spooky part. All of that is just £3 or $3 to go VIP. So go VIP today so you don't hear ads like this again. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. That's patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. On with the show. I actually went to Transylvania and the early part of the 2000s um, uh, uh, as part of a ghost club expedition uh, we decided we'd, we'd spent a lot of time investigating haunted sites and we wanted to try to work out um, uh, if there was any myth behind the legend and we were lucky enough to 
actually make contact with the um, uh, two people who actually initiated Dracula tourism in um, uh, Romania, the ex-communist party members originally, um, but they were quite fascinated with both folklore and the par paranormal, particularly a chap called Nikolai Paduaro, who's unfortunately passed on since. And um, uh, obviously the first time we went on a tourist expedition, which included um, uh, Castle of Puranare, which, which is actually supposed to be haunted. Uh, it's, um, it's the original castle of the uh, of the Romanian prince Vlad Tepes, on which the Dracula novel is based. It takes 1,200 steps to get up to the top, but it's well worth it if you survive the episode. We also went on um, uh, various other sort of Dracula-related places, including a hotel at the Borgo Pass, which was actually um, partly built at the initiation of these two former communists. But what I gradually realised, and I, I went there on various other occasions um, and actually um, organised some tour parties to go there as well, was that um, there was kind of a misapprehension of what we understand as vampires through Bram Stoker and um, through what the Eastern Europeans understand as vampires. Now, the interesting thing is, is most of Eastern Europe is a Christian Orthodox church and they have a very different way of looking at things. Now, they believe that incorruptibles are demonic, while us, mainly Catholics and Protestant offshoots in the West, believe that incorruptibles can be saints. So I was talking earlier about how um, uh, random poltergeist events always like to be given an identity, and started to think that the identity that um, uh, the the um, Romanians and the Greeks and the Serbians and the Russians chose was this mythical entity, the vampire, because um, to connect it with um, some kind of incorruptible body makes it demonic. And once, when things are flying around, it seems pretty demonic for sure. In fact, if you look at a lot of old vampire incidents, that are recorded in Eastern Europe. I mean, there's one in Greece where, which was identified in the 1890s as being a Vercloclus, which is basically a Greek vampire. But the entire, um, the entire, the entire happenings were pots and pans being thrown around, um, weird growling noises, crashes, and bangs exactly like our poltergeist incidents. Just a totally different way of describing the same thing, which makes me think that not only is Romania a really interesting place to go to, it's actually a good way of discovering that poltergeist activity is probably a worldwide event. Where do you believe the poltergeists stem from? What is responsible for their activity? I speculate because... We can't be sure. Anyone that's sure about anything to do with the paranormal is just simply taken up by their own belief system. Based on the fact that they don't do much intelligence, 
that was fascinating to watch and also based on the fact that with practice apparently you can create your own poltergeist that it's not to be recommended to be done at home i'm referring to a, a an experiment known as the philip experiment where they actually invented a fictional character and got poltergeist activity in canada in the late 1970s through simply inventing a fictional character based on those two points i think it's probably some power within us possibly which needs certain environmental conditions as well it's not unlike i think what people in the east would call a tulpa a kind of thought power or thought form and the fact that people in the east have that concept of a tulpa kind of shows that we've got similar things happening all over the world again would we be talking about something similar to say like psychokinesis if there's a power by which certain mediums or psychics can control their energies to move objects um, without any obvious pushing them or anything like that. And then if there's incidents uh, where objects are moving in the presence of people, um, I would think it's an obvious leap that one is in the first instance, one is controlling their power, and in the second instance, you've got the same power that's uncontrolled. Um, there is a small chance that there is two they are two entirely different things, but it would be one heck of an overlap of phenomena, and it would be certainly far simpler to at least look at them being one and the same. When we consider the fraction of the brain power we actually use, there's a huge void of brain. We don't really know what it does. So who knows what the human mind is capable of? So do you think people can control the power of the poltergeist? Uh, you can't control the power of the poltergeist because once you own it, you become a psychic um, and it's it's termed a different thing. Whilst it's a poltergeist, it's by definition, you have no control over it, which is kind of what makes it a little bit frightening. Um, but you, the two do overlap. And the best example is a chap called Matthew Manning, which I'm sure quite a few of your listeners have heard of. Um, he, he started out um, um, in the family home aged about 12 poltergeist-style incidents in the family home, um, objects being moved and left on the floor without explanation. Then he started um, uh, similar sorts of incidents happening in his, in his boarding school from which he was nearly expelled. So you've got your typical poltergeist case, pubescent boy in this case, um, lots of strange things happening around him. And gradually he matured into becoming a gifted psychic and who could um, write automatically and who could ultimately apparently become a gifted healer. So uh, taking Matthew Manning at face value, um, he did very much flip from one to the other. But um, uh, poltergeist incidents are by definition the, um, uh, the ones that are uncontrolled and by definition the scarier ones because you can't control them. So how can we sense that intelligent rapping noises might not be just someone playing a prank? Well, you can um, uh, check to see if anyone's playing a prank, first of all, which is, <laughs> which is flippant, but it's also underestimated because 
there is undoubtedly a degree of fraud in, pult in poltergeist cases, how big it is. Um, uh, could range from 1% to 99%. Well, no, it's, it's certainly a lot more than 1%. Uh, but um, the one thing you should always do is, first of all, check there is no fraud around, um, which obviously involves some basic checks. Um, checks to, to, to make sure you're in a environment where no fraud can take place. But once you've overcome that, there is a theory and with some evidence that the particular wraps that poltergeists, poltergeists make have a very different sound envelopes to normal type wraps. I mean, normal type wraps actually peak nearly immediately. If I bang my knuckle on the table at the moment, the sound, the sound envelope will go straight up and then gradually die away, or sl more slowly die away if it's a if there's any kind of echo and so on. Poltergeist wraps, based on tests done by Barry Colvin, which have been partially replicated, as it's explained in my book, actually have a different sound envelope as peaking far, far slower than um, a normal wrap. I mean, some people have actually described hearing a poltergeist wrap while maybe touching a table where the wrapping is coming from as if the sound is emanating out of the table rather than going into the table. And it's quite possible to at least say that if you can get this particular type of sound envelope, it can be more likely, at least it's a poltergeist wrap, and a little bit less likely if you don't get that envelope. That is still, a, that, that is still very much a theory in progress but it's worth using as an experiment. More people that test it out, the better. If you do test it out, and you do happen to run, run across a poltergeist incident, always do a test wrap, um, knuckle on table or knuckle on wall, so you can compare the two. And then if they're very, very different in the sound envelope, you might be on something. I think, unfortunately, John, a lot of ghost hunters are too busy running around with a night vision camera shouting, show yourself to obtain that amount of detail. So I'm hoping that if there are investigators, whether you're established or maybe you're starting up, read this book. It's an amazing book, Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive haunting and use some of the techniques that John is explaining here because those will just enhance your investigation. Have we all maybe had one-off poltergeist incidents and just put them down as just one of those things? Uh, you might be referring to um, uh, uh, some research. Um, one of my sadly recently um, recently departed colleagues, Mary Rose Barrington, has done on the subject. Um, uh, now, Mary Rose, I think, was on the... SPR council from about the early 1960s until very, very recently when she sadly passed away um, and did a, did a lot for the subject. Now, one of the things she specialised in is categorising um, strange incidents that have up till now been uncategorised. Un um, now, I, th I suspect most people out there have had an incident where they've maybe left their, left their wallet somewhere 
and not being able to find it for ages and then suddenly it turns up somewhere entirely different or maybe just left a pen somewhere and it turns up entirely different and they've just put it down as it's just one of those things scratched their head and got on with their life. However, if you look at a lot of poltergeist cases, including the Enfield one, it's actually a very early symptom of poltergeist cases, things disappearing and reappearing without anyone seeing them move, but nevertheless, uh, you can't quite work out what's happened to them. Now, I would speculate, now maybe Rose actually categorised these as jots, just one of those things, which is as good a way as any of calling them. Mm. And uh, basically subcategorized them into walkabout jots when things disappear and reappear somewhere else, comeback jots, which are particularly interesting when things disappear and then suddenly reappear in the same place, even though you've looked in that drawer dozens of times and various other, various other types of jots. Now, I would speculate, and to a certain extent it is speculation, that if these early case poltergeist symptoms, and if you come across a incident like this for which you have no explanation at all, you search that draw dozens of times and suddenly whatever item reappears, could it not be the case that this type of incident is just low-level poltergeist activity? So we get the case, with, so, so we could come to the conclusion, not only is poltergeist activity worldwide, um, which we discussed earlier, but it's actually very, very common. It's just that most of the things aren't worth reporting to any of the ghost hunting groups, which don't do poltergeists anyway for some strange reason. That's absolutely amazing, John. I absolutely love your research into this. It certainly opened my eyes. This is a lot of information I hadn't necessarily taken on board but certainly will moving forward. Now, as an aside, had you witnessed much paranormal activity in your life prior to your becoming an investigator? Um, this is going to be the quickest answer. No, I have not uh, witnessed much paranormal activity either before I was an investigator or even during my times as an investigator. I've got that in common uh, with um, uh, the prolific ghost hunter Peter Underwood, who basically, I think, saw a couple of shadows in his entire career, uh, shadowy figures in his entire career. I am not psychic, I make no claims to be, and haven't seen much, but there comes a point where other people's experiences especially when they have such consistency and similarities to each other, has to be taken seriously. And as one of life's great, great mysteries, even though not that much has happened to me, I'm fascinated by it. About the only thing that's possibly happened is a, um, it's actually the one investigation I did do with Peter Underwood, when we were both members of the Ghost Club on a haunted aircraft in um, RAF Cosworth. I was doing a session on the aeroplane and um, at the end of the session um, all the fire exits were suddenly open um, when they weren't previously and we were the only people in the building. Strangely oh. enough, that was the one of the very few occasions when Peter Underwood thought he saw a shadowy figure of a pilot. One might have triggered the other. 
You have sent me to Goosebumps City. It's rare, John, but you've given me goosebumps. I absolutely love this. Now, why did the Cage St. Osifs make the subtitle in your book? Tell us more about your most well-researched poltergeist case. Well, I think every I think every book on poltergeist does need some kind of handle. I mean, even even Mr. Wilson originally um uh, originally included a black monk or pontifact in his title, um uh, and probably the reason I chose the cage is because it's out of all the cases I mentioned, it's probably one of the most thoroughly researched from my point of view that I've that I've done, and. It's also a case that's very much been in the public eye and probably sums up what I think poltergeists are rather well. I mean, the cage, for those that don't know too much about it in St. Joseph's Essex, is a small house that used to be a village lockup, um, which um, was inhabited by a single mother, Vanessa Mitchell, um, who saw various apparitions initially but then started to be taken over by far more poltergeist style events um, these were witnessed not only by her but by her lodges as well and her friends and her friends friends and so on so you've got a first of all you've got a very wide pool of witnesses which i like unlike say the amityville horror where it was just the family and one possible priest so even if it was true it's very difficult to prove it's true but so you so you've got with the cage lots of witnesses then you've got lots of paranormal groups investigating it afterwards and then you've got me who went around speaking to everybody who could find who had spent time there and had any interesting experiences or even a few that didn't and what i managed to do by interviewing people separately a lot of people who didn't actually have an overlap with other people who had been there especially with regards to the investigation groups is find some very key phenomena traits there were particular doors upstairs that were constantly slamming there were particular areas such as a staircase where things would happen. Um, now the staircase is actually a site, it's not very well recorded and I won't go into detail because um, it's not in the too distant past, but there was a recorded suicide at the cage and that's not common knowledge, but the fact that there have been so many incidents in the staircase may or may not be related to that. You've got somebody moving house, going into the house of a former suicide. You've got lots of the potential triggers for possible poltergeist incidents. Now, Vanessa would actually say with every every validity that the house was haunted by spirits. That is totally another explanation, but it's not my absolute favoured one at this point just based on the fact that there seems to be similar but randomish events and again the spirits haven't done anything that makes too much sense to date like for example um there's been various mediums in there that have picked up 
totally different entities when they walked in. So there's certainly not one predominant haunting if there was a haunting. I spoke about giving an identity to the poltergeist. There's such an obvious identity with the cage as well, so it ticks that interesting box as well. Because outside the cage, there is a plaque that's been there probably for at least 50 years that um, uh, states that in the village lockup, a witch Ursula Kemp was kept there in the 16th, late 16th century before being hung. And indeed, there was a, a witch called Ursula Kemp that did come from St. Joseph's and was hung nearby in Chelmsford. As to whether it was on that exact premise is very much up for debate because the most village lockups only go back to about the 1830s, 1820s, 1790s max. It could possibly have been on the previous site. But it does give an interest. It does give an obvious identity. It also gives a possible trigger. If you're in a house which has a plaque outside saying, mm. saying, um, saying a witch was kept there before being hung, in fact, 12 witches, possibly, if you're going to take the literal version of the tale, because um, uh, uh, she had some accomplices. Only two of them were actually hung in the end. Um, you have all the trigger points. You have a case of genuine stress. I would say, I would say, there's no doubt that um, uh, that um, some very, very strange events happened there. The fact that I've researched it um, uh, and it sums up the other cases, some of which I researched and some of which I researched in the sense of going into archives rather than researching live. I, I think it kind of sums up what a poltergeist could be. But in no way am I null and voiding the alternative theory, which is an afterlife one. It's just not my preferred one at the moment. Absolutely superb. Everyone, you are listening to John Fraser, author of Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive haunting. John, where can people read Poltergeist? They can get it from uh, uh, John Hunt Publishers and on Amazon and on and on Kindle and on good bookshops when they reopen again, um, uh, which unfortunately they haven't yet. Uh, they can. Um, uh, it's very easy to get hold of as of the 31st of July, but I would thoroughly recommend pre-booking so it can just come through your letterbox as a big surprise. Hopefully not as a thump in the night, unless you're pulled, unless your postman's a bit off. <laughs> That's superb. So everyone, Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive haunting, is the must-read book on the Poltergeist subject. It's by Britain's number one ghost detective and paranormal investigator. This is the book for paranormal investigators all over the world to read. For anyone who's experienced paranormal activity or has an interest, you need to read this. This will blow your mind. You've been listening to John now for the last 40 minutes. This guy knows his stuff. He's got some incredible experiences. And there is no one like John Fraser. He is the number one paranormal ghost detective in the UK for a reason. So read Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive haunting. It's available through Amazon, Kindle, 
all e-readers, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. You need to read this. Head over to www.sixth-books.com for more information on the magnificent, and I mean that, I love this book, The Magnificent Poltergeist, A New Investigation into Destructive Haunting. John, how can people contact you? How can they keep in touch with you and your future projects? Um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and um, I'm also a council member of the Society of Psychical Research, which I'd uh, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend joining, um, uh, in which case you can um, meet me at future live events, um, which are going to happen, I guarantee you. The world will get back to normal, and then we will be able to discover whether poltergeist incidents have indeed increased during times of stress, uh, which I rather hope they haven't because there's nobody to investigate them if they have and i mean in the serious point of view they can whilst whilst harmless they can be particularly scary and probably, it's probably not the right time to experience such a thing well john could you imagine all those people stuck at home on their own and having this very strange very frightening paranormal activity happening to them that's an amazing point you've made i wonder i'm very intrigued now will there be a spike in poltergeist activity that's actually a question I've been asked previously. I kind of hope not, but if even my walking hypothesis is slightly right, it probably will do because people are under a lot more stress at the moment. And if they're in, in any way stress-related, it will possibly cause more incidents. But I rather hope it doesn't. You're an amazing guy, John. Please, could you leave our listeners with a final thought, just something to wish and farewell with? I think there's been enough about me. So I actually think I'll choose a thought of a far, far, far more pioneering chap than even myself could possibly be, despite your kind words, Nikola Tesla. Now, I love this quote, actually. He says that the scientific man does not aim for an immediate result. His work is like that of a planter for the future. His duty is to lay the foundations for those who are to come and point the way. And I personally think, if Nikola Tesla thinks that, uh, we as paranormal researchers are certainly not going to do any better than him. We're probably not going to prove things overnight, but at least possibly point the way for future generations to actually get a grip of this. So if we can just make a couple of steps forward, I'll be very happy. Everyone, this has been John Fraser, the author of The Magnificent Poltergeist, A New Investigation into Destructive Haunting. It is the must-read book on the subject. Investigators, enthusiasts, people who've experienced paranormal activity, this book is for you. Poltergeist, A New Investigation into Destructive Haunting, wherever books are sold go and read it john thank you so much for your time so i know you're very very busy and i i appreciate it so much you are an incredible man thank you so much it's been a pleasure gavin
the international chart topping haunted horror of haverford west has been described as terrifyingly real a must read shocking and chilling brilliance genuinely worrying and chilling utterly frightening don't read before bed described as one of the spookiest writers out there best-selling author g l davies presents haunted horror of haverford west the true paranormal account that is shocking the world dare you enter dare you read haunted horror of haverford west is available on amazon barnes and noble kindle and wherever books are sold pray you never have to live there